Hello, my beautiful strangers. Everybody spread the word. We're going to have a celebration all across the world. And it is quite a celebration, not only for Madonna, but also for this podcast. The Madonna Get Together has been ranked by Feedspot as one of the top five Madonna podcasts out there. I'd like to take a moment to thank Feedspot, but mostly a huge thank you to all of you who continue to listen. I don't do this for the accolades, but I'm not going to lie, it feels pretty good to be acknowledged and knowing that this is ranked based on how many of you out there are listening. So thank you again. Now for your listening pleasure, here is the latest episode of the Madonna Get Together. Last Saturday, I went to London to go see Madonna opening night. (gasps) How, I mean, how was it? Now I'm interviewing you. This is like, oh my Incredible. She was incredible. (laughs) She did songs that you would never think she would do again. She did like casual fan service, like give, give kind of like the casual fans who don't know like the, her deeper work. Um, And then she gave her, the like true fans, a lot of like Easter eggs throughout the, a lot of throwbacks and callbacks to older tours and albums and, and deep cuts of songs. So, but unfortunately this used to be my playground was not (laughs) sung. (laughs) Not, you know, it's not, it's just not my favorite. It's not your favorite. No, Ooh, no. Okay. Um, I have to get okay. into that because uh, I, yes. I, 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 I read will... it wasn't Penny's favorite either. But I agree <laughs> with Penny and Penny and I don't, I don't think we'd be, I don't think I'd, Penny would be friends with me at all. Just, we're just completely <laughs> different. Um, Welcome to another episode of the Madonna Get Together podcast. I am your host, Wayne. And last year, we celebrated the 30th anniversary of A League of Their Own, including Madonna's number one single that was released for the movie back in 1992. This used to be my playground, but it was not on the soundtrack. Uh, On September 5th of this year, a new book was released titled No Crying in Baseball, the inside story of A League of Their Own, Big Stars, Dugout Drama, and A Home Run for Hollywood. This book gives you the inside story of how one of the most beloved baseball movies of all time developed from an unheralded piece of American history into a perennial cinematic favorite. It features exclusive interviews and behind the scene memories from the original cast and creators. Here with me today is the author of the book, Aaron Carlson. Aaron is a culture and entertainment journalist in San Francisco and the author of three Hollywood history books, including I'll Have What She's Having, How Nora Ephron's Three Iconic Films Saved the Romantic Comedy, and the book Queen Meryl, The Iconic Roles, Heroic Deeds, and Legendary Life of Meryl Streep. Aaron's work appears in many publications, including Vanity Fair, Town and Country, and her Substack newsletter, You've Got Mail. (laughs) And like Mr. Harvey's candy bars, I am completely nuts about her new book, No Crying in Baseball. Welcome, Aaron Carlson, to the show. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. And you make me sound so much fancier than I actually am. (laughs) (laughs) You are fancy. I mean, I'm so glad I get to speak to you about this new book because I discovered it while scrolling through Instagram, and I saw that there was an article on Vanity Fair's website called how Madonna turned the League of Their Own set into a three-ring circus. And as a Madonna fan, (laughs) we can sometimes get a little defensive. And I'm like, okay, where's this article going? Why is someone (laughs) digging up the past? And and who's trying to shade Madonna? But at the same time, I'm like, ooh, dirt. Dirt in the skirt. Let's hear all about it. But no, it's a very tasteful article, as is your book, and is was more or less an excerpt from your book, No Crying in Baseball. So Tell me all about your infatuation with this movie and why you wanted to write this book. 
Well, it's so funny you bring up that. So Vanity Fair excerpted my favorite chapter from the book, the cast and crew film in Chicago in the summer of 1991. And that was my favorite chapter because it was the most Madonna focused. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it shows her like working her ass off. Like she would get up every morning at 4am jog down Lake Michigan with her trainer then go to baseball practice for like five hours, then go to dance practice for the suds bucket scene where she did the jitterbug. And then afterwards she'd be like, let's go to dinner. And then to a drag show, they went to the Vuitton in Chicago. Um, They went to, um, you know, gay nightclubs on Halstead. And I really wanted um, the reader to feel immersed in that world. And I feel like, I feel like I had great sources for that. Her dance partner in the Suds Bucket scene is this incredible choreographer named Tony Savino, and they became friends. So yeah, you you read that excerpt, or you start reading that excerpt, you're like, oh God, where is this going? Is this going to shade the pop queen? (laughs) But I think it, it, um, what I tried to do was show her in all of her nuance, um, the provocateur, um, you know, the trailblazer, how generous and funny she is, but she could be mean spirited. You know, she was 32 at the time. And that was her whole thing that Mae West kind of larger than life persona. But I think she embraced it. And if you understood her, you loved her. If you didn't jibe with her, you might be afraid of her. So she had that, um, there were lots of mixed feelings on set about her, but I, I, I loved her persona and I loved writing about her. Absolutely loved writing about her. Uh, and I'm glad fans are responding to it. Cause I worried, I worried <laughs> about that. <laughs> well, I mean, I think we've, uh, fans in general, I think have seen their, their barrage of, of reports from Madonna from either inside sources or mm-hmm. unauthorized biographies and, and people that like, will take a rumor and just run with it. Um, so it's, it's always good to hear when someone does like real research and, and talks to people that were actually with her and tries to give it more of a objective point of view versus just, just the salaciousness of it all. Um, so when you go to start to write something like this, like where do you start? How do you do like all your research? Oh yeah. Well, to go back to your, your initial question too, um, I just, I loved the movie growing up and it just checked off so many uh, boxes for me as a Hollywood historian. It had an irreverent female director in Penny Marshall, like a cast of big boisterous personalities, Mm -hmm. Um, Tom Hanks and also Madonna and Rosie. And I'm like, and it's the number one baseball movie still, (laughs) like 30 years later, it made more money at the box office than like maybe our dad's favorite baseball movies yeah. or like Bull Durham <laughs> and Field of Dreams and the Major Natural. League. Major League. And I'm yeah. like, why is that? And I wanted to do a deep dive into that movie. And it still resonates there. The Amazon reboot came out like mm-hmm. last year. Or so it's always on TV. It's a comforting movie for people. Um, and I love kind of going back into that early 90s nostalgia So this was just the perfect book for me to write. How do I research this book? Oh my gosh. They give you a year to write it. Like just a year. So you wrote this in a year. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, And it's just 
the research part is harrowing. I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's like, I overdo it. I spend nine months and every day you're like, am I going to get this person for an interview? Are they going to flake out on me? Cause you celebrities don't, for some reason, they don't want to talk to journalists right. or a book. They want to be able to, you know, trust you and um, trust that you're going to present them in an objective way. Mm-hmm. So it was just kind of like triangulation. Like you start with the production assistants and then you work yourself upward. And I knew to like Gina Davis, you know, this, the star of the movie, but I right. knew that I wasn't going to get Madonna because first a lot of reasons. Um, one is that she was working on um, a biopic about her own life that yes. seems to have been postponed. Then she was working on the celebration tour and planning that. And she also wants to control her own narrative. She, um, and I respect that and I understand that. And I thought that the stories I could get uh, about her from people who witnessed her at like her blonde ambition peak, mm-hmm. um, truth or post truth or dare. I thought that they would have insights that she would not have about herself. They would have more compelling insights. It's probably, uh, um, they probably, it's probably more memorable to them than it was mm-hmm. for her because for yes. her, it was just like, Oh, this is another project that I'm working on versus, people that surround her and, you know, work with someone of that stature, those memories start to get ingrained in your mind. So you, you have a, a better memory recall. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the, the stories were so funny and just brought her to life. Like the caterer, she got the caterer to like serve vegetarian meals um, Mm -hmm. because she was vegetarian. She's like, I don't eat anything that takes a shit. Like, (laughs) so she, you know, people remembered like her, like witty one-liners just verbatim and all of these stories I was able to cobble together to create a picture of who she was. And she's a lot of different things. She's a workaholic. She's a provocateur. She was building her empire at the time. So she really wanted to be a respected actress that's why she became part of this ensemble. Like she had her eye on Kit Keller, who was played by Lori Petty, the younger right. sister of Dottie Hinson, who was played by Gina Davis. But Penny Marshall, the director, was like, no, 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 no. I don't think you can carry a film now, Madonna. I think you need to like kind of be part of the ensemble, be part of the comic relief. And I'm surprised that Madonna said yes. Like that just underscores how badly she wanted to be taken seriously in the movie mm-hmm. business. And of course she wanted to be in a movie with an Oscar winner, Gina Davis, um, uh, beloved, the beloved America's dad, Tom Hanks. Yeah. And she got to play a ball player, a female ball player, which is a role that never happens <laughs> in Hollywood. Especially at that point in right. time. Sure. So they wrote um, all the way May Mortavito. I mean, they tweaked, the character was already written, but they tweaked it for her to make her more brash, more streetwise. They gave her cool vintage clothes. 
you know, those tinted sunglasses. Mm -hmm. She really slid into bases. She really danced the jitterbug. She looked so cool. And she basically played a, you know, 1940s version of herself. And I think it's her best work. Honestly, I would like to hear your opinion on this. Uh, I would say A League of Their Own is probably my favorite Madonna movie that she's been in. Um, and, and I think she does best when she, what appears to be a version of herself. So like Desperately Seeking Susan, if you're familiar with that movie, she essentially played this 80s New York streetwise Madonna, who we imagined who she was when she was, you know, coming up in New York and and trying to make it big. And then in um, Dick Tracy, she was kind of like this, this uh, sultry songstress where it's like, we could imagine Madonna being this character. And I think the same goes for a league of their own, but she had more visibility. Like I feel like her, she had more dialogue in this movie than her previous movies that I like, like Dick Tracy and desperately seeking Susan she um, she had brown hair, which I loved because I love a brown hair Madonna. Me too. Uh, <laughs> and she just like the, the like the, prayer the whole kind dance of dance scene too. Yes, yeah. It, it just feels like very natural for her. So to see her sort of like in a natural look, but also still just being Madonna in the 1940s was very refreshing in a way, if that makes sense. To yeah. see her like that and to see her the dancing, knowing that she did that dance. Like it wasn't a stand in. It wasn't someone she did those dances. And I love that the reboot of the series, I think like one of the opening scenes of either the first or second episode, um, they, they show a a dance hall where there's like five different women, but they're all doing parts of the jitterbug. Like they're all doing parts of that dance, like that exact dance. And I'm like, Oh, it took five of them to do what, what one Madonna did in the original movie. Oh yeah. She, she held that scene down with her sheer talent and star wattage. What I I find interesting though, is like, um, the, during this time in her career though, she was starting to be looked at as, as like, um, after she had done the whole, like a virgin scene for blonde ambition tour, I feel like she was starting to lose some fans, particularly female fans, straight fans, um, because, you know, they all grew up with the, the jelly bracelets and, and the stockings in the hair and stuff and um, held on being a fan. And then when that came out, it was always, it was looked at as lewd. And um, I don't think kind of like straight women who quote unquote respected themselves acted like that. So there was that. And then justify my love came out. So I'm very surprised that she even got this role. Um, and I think it's, I think it's a good thing that it happened before the erotica album and sex book came out because after that she was essentially, you know, blacklisted from everything. Like she had so much overexposure America didn't want to have anything to do with her at that time. So I just find it very interesting that it was perfect casting for her. And I think it came out the exact right time to show that like, Hey, here's someone that takes risks, but hasn't gone so far yet until after this movie comes out. Yeah. Um, It's just, I feel like what the timing was so you're right. It was so perfect. And Penny Marshall had 
like been looking for an all the way may because she lost the actress that she first cast to tv pilot season so the first mm. actress was like a blonde named Lindsay frost character actress and she was contractually obligated to like you know uh, tape this tv pilot during the filming so penny was like square one gotta find a mo <laughs> I, a mo madonna basically yeah. and she did um so she was reading um, an interview that Madonna did and Madonna was like, what I really want to do is be a movie star. And Penny's like, Oh, the, you know, the light bulb went off and Penny was just so good at casting. She needed um, somebody um, trainable. So somebody who mm-hmm. had like athletic potential who could sing, um, dance and ideally act. <laughs> and Madonna yeah. in Hollywood had, um, I don't know if this was deserved. She had a reputation um, for not being a great actress. She had some, right. she had a couple of flops. I thought she was excellent and desperately seeking Susan. She had a couple of flops afterwards that tried to um, leverage yeah. her huge, um, you know, massive popularity that didn't work so well. So with a league of their own, she kind of had to start from the bottom up again and be part yeah. of the ensemble. Right. And, um, you know, Penny was like, well, I'm not going to cast you in this movie unless you can prove to me that you can hit the ball. So before Madonna flew off to Cannes to promote Truth or Dare, Mm -hmm. she um, had a coaching lesson with a college baseball coach named Joe Russo in Brooklyn. And he reported back to Penny. He's like, you she's she's compact she has a nice stance she's trainable (laughs) and penny was like great deborah winger was cast as the original dotty hinson uh, the best player in the league and deborah was extremely prestigious at the time Uh she was beloved by like our mothers you know for terms of endearment officer and a gentleman and you know while she was extremely popular in america like oscar nominated she was known in Hollywood. She had her own reputation for being extremely difficult. It would take mm-hmm. her forever to decide whether she wanted to do a role. And once she did, she could make life hell for people on set, like not leaving her trailer. So when she heard that Penny wanted to cast Madonna, she's like, over my dead body, you're trying to cast an Elvis movie. And, you know, <laughs> she could not share the spotlight with Madonna so Penny was like, nobody tells me how to cast my movie. <laughs> and they gave Deborah $3 million to walk away. So I always joke that Deborah Winger won a league of their own because she didn't have to. She just took the she money. She didn't have and to ran. do anything. She, yeah. So she, Boy, was, oh. she was kind of happy with that. And then Madonna came in and exceeded everyone's expectations. People thought she was going to be a huge diva. Lori Petty, who played Kit, told me she never witnessed Madonna being a diva ever and they were sort of afraid of her work ethic to be honest like none of them had ever seen anybody work that hard in their life and i think (laughs) it's hard too i think when you're when you're at that that high of celebrity status it can be intimidating to a lot of people so i think a lot of people might mistake what might be a diva attitude as someone who's just like intimidated by them (laughs) so maybe they just don't want to say anything because they're like oh this i don't know but I do want to go back to Deborah Winger because uh, let's rip into her for a minute because yes. 
I I was reading. I have read stories about this before, but I got more clarification when I was reading your book. I find it completely hysterical that Deborah Winger claimed that it would be Madonna that makes the movie like is going to be a diva on set. And Madonna is the one that's going to cause all the trouble on set. And yet it turns out to be Deborah Winger that causes all the mm-hmm. drama on the set. <laughs> Classic projection. Yes. You know, yes. the pot calling the kettle black. Yeah. Deborah and Penny, you know, um, had the courage and foresight uh-huh. to see that happening like, cause they were, cause filmed, they were friends, right? They were Weren't really they good friends, really good friends. And, um, Penny stood up for her movie for Madonna because Deborah was saying, I'm going to make this a long, hot summer that they were shooting <laughs> in like a hundred degree Indiana. And Penny was like, Oh hell Our no. Summer with Laverne. Right. Madonna and Rosie referred to it as <laughs> it, she was, she, she, she was Laverne. But I also think that Deborah you know, nobody ever brought this up in my interviews, but I went back to um, um, an interview that Madonna did with The Advocate around that time where she mm-hmm. dissed um, Deborah's performance in a movie. I can't remember it right now. Um, some like Bernardo Bertolucci, like period drama that filmed in Morocco. Mm that was based on a novel and Madonna wanted that leading role that went to Deborah. And she goes, that was the most unsexy performance (laughs) I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) And I think Deborah read that. And I think that gave her the ax to grind. You know, I wonder if she would have been more open to Madonna being on set with her if she hadn't read, I'm guessing she read that article. You know? Yeah. Well, you know, I don't know because based on, you know, what I read in your book and that whole, like, um, it, it seemed Deborah had problems on all of her movie sets. All of it. So, yes. uh, and I, and remember, I tried to I lay the... reading the one about Shirley MacLaine when Shirley MacLaine accepted the Oscar <laughs> 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 for the same, for the terms of endearment and I... said, uh, you did great, but this is mine. I deserve this. <laughs> I feel like I need that on a t-shirt. I was like, yes. I deserve this. Okay, it was like Shirley <laughs> MacLaine icon. For all the yes. for all the listeners who don't know, um, Shirley and Deborah had starred together as a mother and daughter in like an '80s melodrama called Terms of Endearment, and they hated each other, hated mm-hmm. each other on set. Well, Deborah made Shirley's life like just terrible, like. And she, at one point, lifted her skirt and farted <laughs> in Shirley's <laughs> face. Oh and like all, there's all kinds of stories like that. So they were both nominated for Best Actress uh, at the Academy Awards. And Shirley, Shirley um, won the award and um, gave a speech that was like, I have to thank the turbulent and talented Deborah Winger. <laughs> and also, I deserve this. And it's the greatest thing ever. So... But yeah, I sort of laid the groundwork with Deborah and, you know, tried to present an accurate portrait of who she might be. Like if she were on the set of League of Their Own, like I, you know, I think she and Madonna would have killed each other. 
And I think this book yeah. would have been true crime, nonfiction. <laughs> I really do. Oh my gosh. <laughs> even, well, it's basically even more of a bestseller up the loop. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> There'd be dead bodies. Uh, well, yes. I, I like that, you know, the casting changed so much within this movie that there were people that auditioned or at least tried to, that I had no idea even auditioned for it. But I know that like at one point, Demi Moore was in the running to be uh, Gina Davis's character. Um, is that yes. right? Uh, and then yes. like, there was people like Sean Young, Marla Maples, Glenn Keeley, <laughs> who was in Dick Tracy with Madonna. Um, who else? Sarah Jessica Parker. Like all these people, I had no idea that auditioned for this movie. And then I think later on in life, as I watched it, I've seen this movie like uh, over a hundred times, but um, then you start recognizing up and coming actresses that had made it big at the time where I was like, Oh, that's, that's Taya Leone. That's in, in a, yes. in a small role. Like she doesn't even have, um, she doesn't even have a name in the credits. It's just, I don't know, hitter number two or, or something yeah. like that. Uh, so it's just interesting to hear about all the casting changes and things change because this movie kept getting pushed back and, and changing hands with different, um, movie studios. So it's interesting. Like, what did you feel like you learned from when you were writing and learning about is, did you learn anything like new about like, Oh wow, that this really went through the ringer to get made. Oh, I learned that anytime, <laughs> anytime you try to make a movie with, um, like a female driven cast, it's mm -hmm. an uphill battle. Um, even though to us, to you, to, to me, like it's a no brainer to Hollywood executives. It was like, who's going to go see a movie about an obscure women's baseball league that only lasted 11 years in like the forties and fifties. And besides who's going to see this movie be because like girls don't play baseball and they still don't because around the age of 12, they're kind of shuttled into softball, softball which is seen yeah. as an equivalent sport even though it has different parameters yada 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 um so they wondered executives within um, the studio columbia and then outside they looked at league of their own as a huge risk potentially a uh, money losing cautionary tale because it was so original and it hadn't been done before mm -hmm. and um and so they're like but they wanted to work with Penny Marshall because she had directed big with Tom Hanks and right. that was a sleeper success. Yes. Like that year that she, she um, released big, there were like four other body swapping movies. And she was like, Oh, you're just giving me this movie because like no one else wanted it. And lo and behold, it just exceeded expectations. Yeah. And then she directed awakenings, which was a critically acclaimed drama starring Robert De Niro, who she called Bobby D. <laughs> and so people <laughs> wanted to work with her because she had that Penny Marshall touch. Um, just a great gift for telling, uh, entertaining stories that were also deeply emotional and made you laugh and cry. Nobody wanted to make a league of their own, but they wanted to work with her. So they let her do it. And she was notoriously expensive and didn't really care about budgets. So she was blowing through yards and yards and yards of film every single day. 
and enough film, like I was told that could wrap around Manhattan three times. Oh, wow. Like she just did way too many takes of everything because she wanted as many options as possible for the edit bank. So like Madonna and the other Rockford Peaches were like often sitting in their trailers for hours and hours, like not being used, you know, with curlers in their hair, you know, from, you know, in the makeup chairs. And um, they often didn't know what they were going to film until minutes before because the set was like big and chaotic, kind of like a war movie. Mm -hmm. So they filmed a lot of like baseball vignettes and action shots and they didn't know how they were going to, they didn't know how the movie was going to work, how Penny would piece it all together. But she was an excellent editor. Like there was a thread in her head that only she could see. And when they finally saw the movie at the premiere, they were like, oh, this is an actual movie. But none (laughs) of them liked the movie because they remembered how hard it was to film. Yeah. Like, you know, and how they remembered those long days in the Midwest. And they were surprised that it did so well at one point knocking Batman Returns off the top mm-hmm. of the box office. And people would sneak into like audience screenings, like just regular people screenings. And they there were standing ovations and the actresses would go like, what? You know, they would see <laughs> girls dressed up as Rocker Peaches on Halloween and they they just couldn't wrap their head around it. They're like, oh this is a good movie, I guess. It was always a good movie. They were just in it too much. Madonna. Close to it. Madonna liked the movie, but she said that if she had been in charge of it, she would have made a big stink about how the league had ended. Like the end of like the, the movie kind of presents the league like, and, and it's players, you know, in their older Mm -hmm. age is like, Oh, we did a thing. They didn't think of themselves as feminist trailblazers. They yeah. thought of themselves as keeping baseball alive during World War II while all the men were fighting in the war. But Madonna wanted to, you know, be a bigger, she wanted Penny to be a bigger advocate for baseball and keeping yeah. the league going. And I think it was said by Penny herself that like she didn't intend to make a feminist movie. She wanted to make a movie about women's baseball and the love of the game, essentially. Right. Um and so I guess when she gave her blessing for the reboot that came out last year, that reboot focused more on the feminism, the, you know, the, the lesbian yeah. relationships, the, the people of color not being included. Like it, it expanded on the universe that we already knew about from watching the original movie. Right. Right. And it's so funny because like Gina, Gina Davis, like in, while promoting the movie, journalists would be like, is this a feminist film? Because like feminist was a dirty word like back Uh then and then now. Um, It meant humorless. It meant like all man-hating, all these things. And she'd be like, yes. And Penny would be like, no, no, no. We're we're for everybody. It's a universal (laughs) message. But it is a feminist movie because it shows women playing baseball, which is a male-dominated sport. It shows women talking to each other about things other than men. It shows... Madonna teaching one Rockford Peach how to read an erotic mm-hmm. novel, which I love. And it has mill, like a, mill, a right? Wide. <laughs> yes. Exactly. The bosoms, my bosoms. <laughs> um, so it, it is like totally feminist film. And then a lot of the, like Rosie O'Donnell, um, 
well, Lori Petty. Okay, let's go back to Lori Petty. So okay. Lori Petty played Kit Keller, and she and Madonna were great friends on set. And at one point, like early in the production, she goes to Penny, you know, I'm not comfortable with the fact that there are no black women, you know, in this movie. Like, there's no mention of how black women couldn't play. So Penny's like, oh, I can, I see that. So she had the writers add that scene that shows oh, yeah, the black yeah. woman picking up a wild ball on the fall line and throwing it over Gina's head. So that was Lori Petty. You had these younger women, um, younger actors kind of, kind of challenging Penny in a way. And Rosie did that too on that scene on the bus where Doris, her character is talking about like why she stayed with her deadbeat boyfriend. She's like, Mm -hmm. because I was a weird girl. I didn't, you know, he was the only one that didn't like think I was weird for liking to play ball. But now like, you know, now as part of the peaches, she feels a sense of belonging and community. And she rips up his photo and throws it out the bus window. For Rosie, that was the subtext was that was a Doris's coming out moment. Right. You know? Um, for her, Doris was um gay, totally in love with May, but didn't know what to do about that or didn't even know that those feelings meant that she was gay. So she was reciting that monologue. And Penny goes, Ro, don't do it like that. And that's my Penny Marshall impression. Which well, is you bad. do a great Penny Marshall and Rosie O'Donnell. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Everyone I interviewed like did the Penny impression unsolicited. So I sort of picked it up. <laughs> Everyone. Um, so, so Rosie was like, do it like what? And then Penny was like, don't make it a gay thing. It's She used to feel weird. Now she don't. And and Rosie understood Doris as Penny could never. Penny was not gay. Penny didn't understand the connection. So Rosie just recited the lines as written. And um, like, you know, lesbians, when they went to go see the movie, young girls who were like Doris, who didn't quite understand their sexualities yet or were coming Mm -hmm. into that understanding that scene really resonated with them. And that's what was really fleshed out in the Abby Jacobson reboot where they acknowledged the queer history of the league. And Rosie had a little um, cameo in that as uh, the owner of a queer speakeasy. Mm -hmm. And I was like, where's my, I wanted like, I wanted to come back. Yes. I was like, where are you? Please come (laughs) back. Did you happen to see the the Netflix documentary a couple years ago? It was called um, a secret love. And yes. it documented like the long secret love relationship between um, it was Terry Donahue who played for the Piera, Piera, Peoria oh, Red yes. Wings. Of, I only know uh, that you know, because like, I am from place. Illinois. The, oh, Peoria. nice. Yeah. Yeah. And um, <laughs> well, I, I just thought it was great because it was like, oh, there's a connection to a movie that I loved. And now I know that, you know, the, the all American girls professional baseball league existed I know what this woman had to go through with her partner and how she, even in her old age, after she had come out, she's still like finding ways to kind of mask it and keep it secret, which is kind of a sad thing. And I think the whole overall kind of like there was a, there was a part in your book where it was the, uh, the son of one of the players was talking about how he just loved going to see his mom play and watching and he was so proud of her and i think something like um 
I might be misquoting here, but someone asked him like, Oh, did you learn to play like that from your dad or, or your mom or something like that? And he said, um, if my mom had taught me, I would have been in the professionals or something like that. You yeah. might have to requote this for me. <laughs> oh yeah. I think he said, I think it was Casey Kendall, the son of yes. the, one of the um, original players in the league, Helen, Helen Kendall. Mm-hmm. And she was like the Ted Williams of women's baseball, a power hitter. And he was kind of like a journeyman um, player in the in Major League Baseball. But he's like, I would have gone to the Hall of Fame <laughs> if yeah. I had her skill, basically. It was incredible learning. I never in my life did I ever expect that I would read so many books about baseball history and like women's baseball history and Mm -hmm. I have a huge stack of books and like there are things I know that my dad doesn't know now he's like how did you know that Jimmy Fox (laughs) like was the inspiration for Jimmy Dugan I was like because I'm now I joke about this the greatest living expert on women's baseball that's just (laughs) it's not true it is a joke Um, I will say like (laughs) And I'm speaking to my my listeners now, like, y'all, this is how you do research. So, you know, some people say, like, do your research. And then they do a Google Google search and take the first two line items or whatever um, or find something that they agree with. No, like, no, people, there are, like, 50-plus pages of citations and references here that you can, like, cross-check them all if you want to. But And I'm actually glad you included that in there because I'm like, oh, no, she did her research. She She knows what she's doing. So I really appreciate that you included that in there um, just to show people like, yeah, I did it. This is, this is yeah. not just a, a fluff. This is not like a fluff piece just about the movie. It, it includes so much more than, than just learning about the movie. You, your, your table of contents is basically um, nine innings, nine chapters, but you, you call them <laughs> innings, which I love too. Um, and, you know, you go through not only just like the history of the movie, but you go through Penny Marshall's history. You you talk about how she started getting into directing in the first place and um, and also like her life story of how she got there. And then you also include chapters of some of the actual players and their stories and how they got told and how it... And I think what you end up starting to do is you start piecing it together in a linear, linear form where you're like, oh, okay, now I understand how this became something like, uh, I think there was like an interview with a, um, uh, a union workers or something like that. And it turned into uh, this article where the, this journalist was, was finding out information. It was like, oh yeah, my mom played baseball or um, I, I'm sorry if I'm misquoting, but like, yeah, my, my mom played baseball and she's like, no, I want to, I want to write about this. I don't want to write about the union workers anymore. I want to find out more about this. And I want to do a piece about this, which inspired so much like um, a documentary put on PBS and, and like, it just kind of like snowballed into no one wanting to do this movie to everyone wanting to do this movie and how Penny Marshall almost didn't even direct it too. like someone else was supposed to be directing and she was just going to be part of the casting and production. You know, make a movie centered on women athletes. Like, cause who, no one thought like no one thought anyone would go see it. I mean, they right. had that's why they brought in Madonna too um, to get butts and seats. Mm. Um, and Hanks can pull in the the straight men. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but they never thought of the movie as 
having any resonance across generations. They totally overlooked um, the fact that young people would like it, (laughs) (laughs) which is so weird to me because that would be like the first thing I would think of. Oh, like young girls, you know, and boys, like they're going to love this movie. They're going to go see it with their friends. Um, As you did in the early 90s when everyone saw, you know, everyone went out and saw movies like Mm -hmm. without not have without having um, much advanced knowledge about them. Now we have to research everything, look at all the reviews, but we kind of just saw anything. You know what I mean? So I, Oh, that was like a movie. It's, it's a new release and it's Friday night. Are we going to see a movie? Right. You'd look at the list, right. You'd look at the listing in the newspaper or you'd like call Call the the movie theater in advance (laughs) and wait and listen to it loop twice. And you start writing down all the (laughs) movie times. Yeah. Right. So you didn't like, it's so funny that they did all, they had to do all these focus groups and like, like, you know, you were just going to see any movie kind of. So I found myself at a league of their own with uh, my friends in seventh grade, sixth or seventh grade. And I loved it. I had no athletic ability whatsoever, but my friends were in softball and soccer and um, they, re- the movie really resonated with them because for the first time they saw a role model <laughs> of yeah. what they could be on the screen. And that was definitely Gina Davis. Um, for me, I love the female camaraderie, the friendship, how funny and opinionated and mouthy and annoying the characters were. Because like all of the things that little girls or little girls us, you know, in the audience Mm -hmm. weren't really, you know, um, weren't really reflected, you know, as on screen. It was all like little boys were allowed to be this, you know, like stand by me. They were allowed to be funny and like, um, exactly. So it was just really refreshing. And we would sing the, um, victory song at recess that drove the crew nuts and we're just obsessed with that movie. But I don't remember going because I knew that Madonna was in it or Hanks or Gina Davis. I was just, it was something to do and the story seemed fun. So when Columbia started getting advance word that young people really liked it, mm-hmm. then they started reframing the movie as a family film, which mm. it's still like it holds up. And there are parts of it that would never get made today. But I think those, I mean, I think that's great. I think there, there's parts of it that haven't aged well, that are just kind of like reflective of the times. Jokes that I don't love at Marla Hooch's expense. But right. then there's lines like John Lovett's Pickle Tickle <laughs> that are so effing funny. And <laughs> like, it's just something that you would never see in a family film now. So, you know, it was a different era for sure. And like, yeah. it was just a different time. Like being, like being a moviegoer in the 80s and 90s was so weird because we saw a wide, just a wide selection of films and just running the gamut of like anything. Right. R-rated, PG-rated. My mom turned <laughs> the matter. other cheek. Yeah. <laughs> My mom took me to R-rated movies. 
<laughs> oh, well, listen, my dad took me to see Body of Evidence with Madonna. And I'm not sure if you know that movie, but yes. we sat in a theater and it was a very uncomfortable two and a two hours. So <laughs> oh, I was like 14. God. So I was like at the, the like height of puberty too. So it was just very awkward. I remember um, that feeling. I took my, um, I took my younger brothers, much younger, um, um, to see Wolf of Wall Street 10 years ago. Oh. Uh, uh-huh. And they were like around the age that you saw Body of Evidence. And I was like, I want to leave right now. It was the most awkward three hours of my life. I but bet. yes. And they probably came home saying and, and doing things and your parents were like, where did they learn this from? And they thought they thought I was cooler than I actually am. I'm sure. But I was like, yeah, I'm like an 80s latchkey mom. Like just for yeah. three hours. Like, well, <laughs> um, well, going back to what you were saying about like, you know, some of the the, the jokes or, or some of the things that wouldn't be as acceptable today in movies. It's I feel it's also very hard when you're doing a period piece as well because, you know, it's 19, it's early 90s, right? So you have things that are okay that will, that some people will let, slide so to speak um but you're also having to represent a disparaging time for women in the 40s as well so it's like you you kind of have these multi-layer things um one of the things that stood out for me was there was a part in your book where where the son was talking about his mom but it, it also went into uh when they were filming the scene for the end of the movie with the the older women playing the baseball game in in cooperstown and when i used to watch it as a teenager i used to get kind of like sad watching it because it it's like oh it's it's older people they're they're trying to relive their youth they they're not as fast or as, as nimble as they used to be and that part used to make me sad but like reading your book and being an adult now looking back and and realizing like how horrible it probably was in the 40s for women just as it is today. But like what really made me sad is that they weren't looked at as they weren't taken seriously as ball players. They were women just like they were there for entertainment. They were just mm-hmm. like the, um, the monkey playing the accordion, you know, like that's what it was for some people. It was just like a spectacle or like a freak show to watch just like, Oh, let's just see if, what mm-hmm. these girls can do and let's laugh at them. I mean, there is a scene that, that depicts that in the movie during their first game, but it was just, it's just kind of like sad to watch these women take something that they're so passionate about that other people don't look at as them don't take them seriously enough to say like, no, this is a passion. They were really good at it. And you know, they made a profession out of it. And, um, but some people didn't even see that. Even the owners of the teams didn't even really see it like that. They saw yeah, it as like, yeah. oh, this is just a way to, to you know, um, come to the circus and, and watch the game, eat some peanuts. Exactly. It's funny. You mentioned the um, Cooperstown, you know, the, the documentary mm-hmm. style game that they yeah. were actually filming that game. That was a casual game on Double Day Field at Cooperstown because they were there for the reunion sequence because right. Penny wanted yeah. to intersperse like real people. So all of a sudden she started filming and they weren't really aware until they saw like the proverbial camera kind of through the bushes. <laughs> and then Penny's like, can anyone slide? And one of them's like, yeah, I can slide. So they did little tricks for her. Gosh. But the studio, it's 
president did not want to end on that. He's like, why would you end on the old ladies um, when you can just end on Tom and Gina and Lori? The audience is already into that. You don't need to like put it, you know, another ending right. on this yeah. film. But she really, she really took those women seriously. She wanted to pay tribute to them. She wanted to show people with the real footage of them playing, like they can really play and they could really yeah. play in their fifties and sixties. And they still had that spunk. And um, so she really fought to include that documentary style footage at the end. So, um, but she had direct, she had final cut because she was a hot director. Um, so, I mean, she didn't know she had final cut until her agent told her. So she lost that, uh, the studio lost that battle with her. However, uh, they won. Tell me what they did win. They won the battle. I know what you're getting at. Ah! What do, what do they get? This used to be my playground. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> they got that. They got that. So Penny was in post-production when um, she got, like, the song from Madonna. And uh, this used to be my playground. A co-production with Chet Pettibone. They mm-hmm. stopped uh, recording erotica for a couple days to honor their contract. And mm-hmm. they came up with the arrangement, the string arrangement, um, the lyrics, um, which were kind of perfect for the film, like and just vague enough where it could be about a breakup or it could be about the league ending. <laughs> so yeah. uh, Penny wanted to put uh, a Carol, Carol King's Now and Forever over the end credits, which were prime placement for any diva, right? Mm-hmm. But Madonna's contract stipulated that her song would go over the end credits. And um, when Penny heard the song, she was like, she gathered everyone in post in her office and she was like, this is crap. There's no way this song <laughs> is getting in my movie. Uh, not like three seconds later, Amy Pascal, a production executive at Columbia calls and she's like, didn't you love the song? I love this song. <laughs> So one of the editors um, told me, he's like, you know, Madonna was smart enough to send it to everyone mm-hmm. so that Penny just couldn't trash the song. So because Madonna knew that she had a, I think she had a premonition that Penny would hate it. Right. So she sent it to like everyone. And then, yeah, um, I think, I think the song works for the end credits, I think it's extremely moving. I think it's maudlin, but so is the movie. The movie is not afraid of schmaltz. Um, I think it's a little bit of, I think one critic called it, yeah, a morose torch ballad, which yeah. is not wrong. It's very, to me, <laughs> off brand for Madonna. It's not my favorite song um, of hers, but. But everyone at the studio was like, you know, this is going to be a number one single. And Penny's like, no, it's not. Lo and behold, like a few weeks after the movie premiered in uh, July 1992, the song became Madonna's 10th number one single. Mm. But because of contractual reasons, I think, um, you know, um, her label was not Warner Brothers. Yeah. And, like, and they wouldn't Columbia allow pi- right. Columbia Records. Columbia Records. Issued the, the soundtrack. And so I guess they couldn't work out a deal. The soundtrack that. just would have been so much better 
with more Madonna on it. Instead, it's mm-hmm. like James Taylor singing standards. I'm going to go to sleep <laughs> thinking about that. No, no, Is it no, too thank sleep, you. Two sleepy people. I, I'm not <laughs> into that. the did too. <laughs> I'm not into that at all. I mean, snooze. So that, so that song, this used to be my playground, um, ended up on like an, a Barcelona Olympic yes. compilation yep. album, which makes me laugh. <laughs> That makes no logical sense. No sense at all. No but it was sense a way at all. To sell it on an album. Because I think yeah. at that time, record companies were like, if a song is on the album, people will buy the album. And so they'll spend more money. You know, they'll make more money versus like a single that costed like 99 cents at the time. Exactly. So, um, and, and I, think I it wonder... made sense for them to put it on an album, but it, it, it did not fit. Like, yeah, I think I watched the Olympics. I didn't hear that song play once. But meanwhile, the song was everywhere on the radio. Oh, yeah. And I yeah. think it had that, um, I think, like, you remember when Lady Gaga suddenly put down her meat dress and it was like, I'm going to collaborate with Tony Bennett? It yeah. was just felt like. You're like, huh? What, what's it was like, huh? <laughs> but there was something fascinating about that. I think an off-brand Madonna song was like, and there was another song from that era that, it, that I actually liked a lot better that was on the soundtrack for, um, uh, a movie called With Honors, starring I'll Brendan remember. Fraser, and um, her, her right, her director from Truth or Dare directed that. Yes. So she did him a solid by offering. But I will remember anyway. I won't sing it, but I love <laughs> that song. Yeah, I, I like that song more than I like this. Used to be my playground. Um. But anyway, my favorite Madonna, I, I like the bubblegum pop Madonna. Um, What's your favorite song or Cherit, album? Cherish. Cherish. Yeah, Cherish is my favorite song. I love the weird um, Malibu set. Yeah. Herb Ritz. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, Herb that was Ritz. his first That was his first video that he ever did. The, Madonna the convinced Merman, him. Like, mm-hmm. I love it all. And her rolling on the beach, like looking happy. Yes. I mean, that's... That's my favorite. And I also really love Ray of Light. And I think as a 90s child, um, like that, maybe I was in my fleeting hippie phase, but you know, you love, (laughs) you love the albums, you know, from high school. From your childhood. Yeah. From your childhood. So what's yours? I'm sure your listeners know. Um, Yes. Well, (laughs) I mean, I talk about the show on my show a lot about like there, there's always that that period of time where we grow into discovering music and that sort of what shapes our musical landscape pretty much for the rest of our lives. Not to say that we don't get into other music or other artists, but those memories, especially during, I say, from like 10 or 11 years old to about 18, 19-ish are kind of like ingrained in our mind and anytime we hear a song that comes from that era or a song that sounds like it came from that era we're in Mm -hmm. love with it for me my favorite album is like a prayer so i was i was 10 years old when that came out so um anything from that album really kind of resonates with me i could listen to that album from start to finish with no skips uh, my favorite song off of there is Express Yourself, although not necessarily the album version. There was a, a remixer, Shep Pettibone, did a remix for that, which um, 
paired with the video that came out. And to me, it was just the, the perfect culmination of, of the image I was seeing on the screen and what I, and what I was sonically hearing in my ears that made that the, the definitive version for me. Um, and that's kind of my, my tried and true. I mean, that's a perfect album, um, a perfect song. And him, like I was just obsessed with interviewing him for this book. And I feel like he and Madonna are still friendly, right? Like they're... I don't know. I Madonna's weird with people she collaborates with. She'll not speak to them for years. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, they're getting back together to work on something. You're like, what? That's amazing. Like I William had, Orbit when, yeah. when he worked with her on... Um, I believe it was uh, MDNA album after not working with her since Ray of Light or um, music, the music album. You're kind of like, what? What? He's back. Yay. Or Pat Leonard whenever he comes back. It's it's always a treat when she brings back an older person that she's worked with because you know that they created like such magic together. Right. I wonder if they were involved in the celebration tour at all. If she um, She probably reconnected. For possibly i don't know, know I, right she, well she worked with Stuart price who who was her original music director for the drowned world tour back in 2001 and then they did like pretty much a full album together with confessions on a dance floor and we hadn't seen him since confessions on a dance floor tour and so he is her music director for this tour so he put together all the music for her um and helped curate it and decide how it's going to sound like, cause she, she typically never does the album version on tour. It's always either um, a derivative of like a remix or just something brand new. Um, so it's real exciting. I'm trying to give, give you something without giving away spoilers to some of my audience members because they don't want to, they don't want to oh. hear what songs she's done on tour. Like they don't oh, really? Oh, that's, oh yeah. Oh, this yeah. is di- okay. I will, I will, um, <laughs> I will speak no more, but that's different from the eras because there's a kind of running, if there's one song change song omission, everyone in the Taylor universe hears about it. Oh wow! Like, okay. Yeah, they, uh, they want to know fans, everything. Yeah, there are Madonna fans that like. Yeah, I don't care. Just tell me everything. Um, but there are some more of like the older school, like people my age that know what it's like to be surprised when they they first arrived, and then the younger yes. ones are like, "Yeah, what what does she perform? What version? Hey, I'm gonna post it all over Instagram and Facebook, so that's no one boring. can escape it." That's boring to that. me. That's a <laughs> that's boring. That's a spoiler. Yeah, um, 100%. I appreciate the fan base, <laughs> but like, <laughs> let's leave some surprises. You know, I already know I'm going to see the Eras movie on Thursday and I already, you already like, know the set list. Right. Cause I, I accidentally read it and someone was like, yeah. oh, they didn't put um, my two favorite Taylor songs. Oh, were, she, no. They removed the Archer and then Tis the Damn Season. They took them out. And I am so upset. I was like, if I were in charge, if I were the editor, and and then <laughs> so it, it was just, recorded, but it wasn't included. Yeah, it wasn't included. Oh, that's annoying. There, Madonna's yeah, the, done that before. Really? Ugh. Yeah, during her last um, her last tour, her Madame X tour, there were two songs that were not that were recorded, but were not put in the I'll say visual presentation because it wasn't put on DVD or anything. Um, I think it's only on Paramount Plus. 
but it was missing from there. But she just recently released it on vinyl, like as an audio, and then she included the two songs as audio files, but we don't get to see the visual representation of it. I, I can't say that. It's kind of like going to like Walgreens and like going to get ice cream and there's only two flavors in there and they're the flavors <laughs> that are the blandest. Like, here's some vanilla. Here's your chocolate chip cookie dough. But they're missing the interesting flavors. Yeah. Anyway, the more complex flavors. <laughs> So it's kind of like that when you're doing something so big and bombastic. But yeah. I feel like I feel like Beyonce. I feel like Beyonce's different. She's she's gonna, I feel like, like her, for the real her, fans for Madonna yeah. for the real fans. Exactly. They're gonna yeah mix it up. Well, before I let you go, uh, every time I talk about a Madonna movie, I always do a quiz in the movie, <laughs> and I like to find. Some of the, the the more obscure things, some of them are obvious, some of them are not. But, you know, you have nine chapters in your book, which are nine innings. So I have nine quiz questions for you. And I'm going to call this the, the choo-choo chaboogie pop quiz. And <laughs> you're either going to hit the cream cheese out of this one or you're going to be throwing grapefruits up there. I'll so. be throwing grapefruits, I think. <laughs> um, so, for example, if I were to say... What was the name of the team that was the focus of the movie? You would say Rockford Peaches. Yay. Okay. Yes. So you get how it works. Um, that was a warm up. So we'll call this in the first inning. We'll, we'll call this the first inning. How many girls are on the league? Oh my God. <laughs> I want to say 21. Oh, there were 64 girls. Four teams, 16 girls to a team. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Wayne, you know my book better than I do. And I'm okay with throwing grapes. I'm okay with, like. <laughs> well, these are all in the movie, too. So um, oh, it's, it's just one of those things where it's like I hear something and I'm like, well, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a good quiz question. Um, right. Okay. Second inning. What are the names of each of the teams? Oh, um, Rockford Peaches, Kenosha Comets, Racine Bells, Fort Wayne Daisies, um, Springfield Sallies. Uh, oh my gosh. I, only f in, in the movie, there's only four teams. There's only four teams. And oh, you said I, three of the four. I said three of the four. Oh, there's another. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Wait, I know this. I know this. For some reason, I just keep thinking Fort Wayne. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. What was the name of the other team? The South Bend Blue Sox. Oh, my God. I knew that. That was like, oh, I, I went to South Bend. You know what it is? I think, yes. I think you just have done so much research on all of the teams. They're just, all of them are stuck oh, in your head. That's just, this is also my self-diagnosed um, ADD <laughs> where I have facts floating around in my brain yeah. and like I'm focusing and now on you're having one. To, you're having to grab at them like that money machine that, that's <laughs> that how I just, the dollar bills. This is how I describe <laughs> self-diagnosed ADD. <laughs> but I was like, South. yes, I went to South Bend for research for this book, but yes, great team. How many places did you go for your research? Um, I went to Evansville, Indiana, to mm. uh, Bossy Field, where they filmed the Racine Bells um, at home World Series mm -hmm. sequence. And then I went to League Stadium in nearby Huntingburg, Indiana, 
where they built the Peaches Stadium from the ground up. It's amazing if you love baseball history. Is it still there? If you want to like imagine Madonna, it's still there. If you want to imagine Madonna in center field, um, avoiding balls (laughs) being thrown at her. (laughs) She caught one in her hat. She really did. She did. (laughs) Okay. Um, Third inning. How many home runs did Jimmy Dugan hit? Ah, oh my gosh. This is in the, yes, this is from the script. Did he hit 500? Not quite. Four something. Close to 500? Not quite 500? 58. 58? There's a big sign in the, in the. Oh my God. Baseball Hall of Fame that says 58. (laughs) Oh my God. These are the details. (laughs) But I'm oh, well, I am okay. This, I I am okay with not knowing this. It's, a, it's okay. Confident. This is just for ignorance. fun. Yes. Okay. But oh my god. Fourth, fourth inning. <laughs> what are Dottie's grandchildren's names? Oh my gosh. Oh my! The two little boys. Mm-hmm. Um. Um. Dottie and Kit, but little boys. <laughs> <laughs> It's Jeffrey and Bobby. Jeffrey and Bobby. Oh my gosh. So really nice. Davis, because uh, she did the voiceover for, for Lynn Cartwright, but the way she says, Jeffrey, <laughs> I don't know why she says it like that because she didn't have a Southern right. accent. Right. other point during the movie. I think I was too distracted <laughs> by the looping to, to like pay attention to the boys' Oh, names. I know. Yeah. Jeffrey, um, it's time Jeffrey, to go. Jeffrey, now your brother's younger than you. Let him win. Why did she sound like Kim Cattrall? <laughs> Hi, Carrie. Kinda, Bye, she... Carrie. <laughs> okay. Fifth inning. In the beginning of the movie, Dottie and Kit play for the Lukash Dairy. What is the name of who the other team plays for? Oh, my gosh. I only know Lukash Dairy. Who is the name of the other team? Oh, um, um, the, I don't know. Something from Oregon? (laughs) The Stevens Lumber Company. Oh my gosh. These are real deep cuts. The Stevens. Oh, they're deep. I'm not even sure any of my listeners would get these questions. No. um, Some of these require a pause and a freeze frame. But I am like, oh my gosh. (laughs) <laughs> like these okay, are things this one this one should be an easy one okay sixth of any what is the <laughs> first and last name of the bus driver who quits oh my gosh um the bus driver who slaps yes the chaperone um throws dirt, or, or throws dirt on face. her yes um I want to say how? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh my Lou god! Lou Gusatelli. Lou Gusatelli. Oh my! That had to be somebody that the name of somebody that Penny knew in real life. That had to be like one of her high school friends. Probably. Sure. <laughs> somebody she owed a favor to. Okay. This this question might be subjective but i i did some deducing and and 
So if you don't get this one right, this one's on me. Who took Helen's new red hat? Oh, okay. Who t- oh, uh, yes. Um, yes, in the uh, boarding house. Who took Helen's new red hat? Trying to think. It wasn't, definitely wasn't Kit because she was pissed at Dottie. Um, Mara, Marla would never. Was it Marble Ann? Who do you think would take Helen's new red hat without asking? Madonna in real life. Um, <laughs> Madonna was always. It was May. It, it was, was May. May? Because she was all, it was. There was, there was a scene right before that where May walks out in this dress and, and Rosie's like, May, that dress, it don't fit. And, she, it don't. and May's like, I don't plan on wearing it that long, but she's wearing this red hat. So I always jump to the conclusion that when Helen later comes, has anyone seen my new red hat? Madonna took it. <gasps> oh. May, May took it. But I think that was a bit. And, and I feel like Penny... Penny would have done something like that. That was a bit because just referencing how Madonna would steal other people's props for mm. like, con- oh yeah, yeah, like the scene, oh, like the blackout teeth that that yeah, I had like read the about. scene where they're they're in the lineup at the etiquette uh-huh. at Charm School, um, like Biddy Schramm wanted to black out her teeth. You know mm-hmm. when the etiquette instructor was going by and yeah. going, fix your unibrow. Yeah. And Biddy thought it would be funny to just have like black teeth. So Madonna did the same thing. So stole Biddy's bit. And then she also stole um, some of Freddie Simpson's props. And Freddie played the beauty queen, Ellen Sue. Yeah. So that was just what Madonna did. Sounds you know? like it's something Madonna would do. Right. Honestly. She's like, well, I'm Madonna. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that was like a reference that was Anne Ramsey kind of referencing yeah. Madonna's habit of prop stealing. <laughs> also, where's the four hour cut of this movie? Did you happen to get did you happen oh, to like dig it, into that? Were you able to somewhere in the vault? Mm. It's somewhere in the like the caverns of Columbia. And along with the audition tapes, like I was Ooh. right, and they never release those unless um, people will sign off on that. Um, well, a number of people. I mean, not God yeah. knows. Yeah, but I don't know Marshall, how that. But like, can can we get this footage now? I, I want to see the, the four footage. hour cut of this movie. I want the four hour cut. <laughs> I exactly. want to see more Madonna. <laughs> I know. I, there I are scenes just... where I've seen picture, production stills that were used on the artwork of the back of the VHS box where like Madonna has Madonna and Rosie have books on their heads. And I'm like, that's not in the movie. I want to see that scene. Yeah. I mean, there's so much footage. Like I demand to see it. Like I, I, <laughs> I was surprised that they released Britney's audition footage for the notebook. Cause she was up for that Rachel McAdams oh, role. I did not know that. Yeah. It just came out this week and I'm like, okay, that's not cool. But also I want to watch that. <laughs> of course. So I feel like somebody at Columbia needs to release the audition footage. I want to see it. Or Madonna's oh. training footage, for sure. Yeah. Um, okay, eighth inning. <laughs> eighth question. What is the final score of the last game of the World Series in the movie? Oh, my God. 
These are things I've never thought about, Lane. <laughs> All I know is that Rockford lost, and I was really angry about that because I wanted them to win. But the final score, oh my gosh, what? tell me what it was. Oh my gosh. 3-2. Three, 3-2? Two. Three, this is something that I should know. Like, <laughs> why did I, why does my brain gloss over I literally things. thought these would be easy questions. Th- these, but like, I also know that I'm I'm just like that asshole that like tries to <laughs> trick people. No, I these I'm weren't not... these weren't intentionally trick questions. I promise. No, 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 no. I I appreciate I I I like being yeah I like being stumped because I didn't I did not know any of these like three two <laughs> that now that is something that I have no excuse for not knowing. But I think I was just clouded in yeah. my like outrage over because that before loss. before Kit was up to bat, it was two one with Peaches in the lead, mm-hmm. and there was a a runner on one of the bases. I don't know which one. And then Kit hit the ball that got one of the runners on the base into home. But then Kit never stopped, which gave them the three two the three two. Lead. Yeah. And then Dottie dropped the ball. She dropped the ball. She dropped the ball. On purpose. Not on purpose. <laughs> no, that's Lori, a fan theory. Right. Lori Lori yelled at me when she when she <laughs> when I was like, Don't you think she dropped it on purpose to let you win? And Lori was like, I won that game fair and square. Anyone, anyone could see that I cut her in half. <laughs> She did. I mean, she, she and really I, I've ran come right around. I've come around and I'm happy for Lori that Kit won the game fair and square. And I, I think Dottie's too much of an athlete to cheat on purpose. So True. Kit could win, but I understand the people who theorize that she did because she but also had Dottie was already loose. ready to give up. Yeah. She's ready to so, trade in her catcher mitt for an oven mitt. Go yeah. back to the, you know. Go back to the kitchen. Go back to the kitchen. And Lori was like, no. So I understand why she would drop the ball on purpose, but I've come around to thinking that she didn't. Because Lori, you know, we want to. <laughs> <laughs> I want to stay yeah. on Lori's good okay. side. Ninth and final inning. Yes. Oh, and my God. And this is a two-part question. So for the top of the ninth. What is Madonna's first line of the movie? Oh, oh my gosh. Um, something like, we see her at uh, Harvey Stadium for the tryouts. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember. Something like, hey, Doris. Like, do we know what her first line is? Do I remember? Um, what was it? It was it was along that line because Doris is trying to get her attention and, and she goes, What? What Wait a second, Doris? Because she was telling her too. Yeah. What, what, what? <laughs> what? Wait a second, Doris. She says, I can do that. Bouncing hey, the bat. Who on are him. you? <laughs> Throwing the phone ball at Gina. <laughs> what are you looking at? Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, how'd you do okay. that? How'd you do that? Bottom of the ninth. <laughs> what are Madonna's last lines of the movie? Oh, um, in the locker room, 
with Dottie. She's wearing that skirt and that mm-hmm. cool shirt and those glasses. Yeah. With her Hedy Lamar inspired hairstyle. And she said something like, um, we did good or something like that. Am I right? Was that, was that it? Something yeah, like, yeah, I'll accept that. I'll accept right. that. I think technically <laughs> her last lines were, Hey, Mr. Murphy, right before she walks on the bus because, um, Doris oh. run into her dad. Yeah. Um, but before oh. that, in the, in the, in the locker room, she was talking to, um, Dottie and saying like, you know, it doesn't matter. You did good. You did good. Get dressed. See you on the bus. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I Um, mean, she looked, that was my favorite ensemble that she wore. That was like. Yeah. And it looked very similar to the cover of the single of this used to be my playground. Yeah. Yeah, It was like, it was a very similar look. It looked like the same glasses and um, she had the same brown styled hair i love that look for her for 40s pinup yep. it works for her and her character kept that look all the way through 1987 <laughs> during the <laughs> the same exact hair she's like i got life. married <laughs> <laughs> well those those were my questions that was the quiz those were the hardest questions <laughs> Ever that I should know the answer, especially the score. I should have known the answer. Well, now I think you'll be prepared. But so it's like my brain, right? Exactly. My brain fixates on certain things and then yes. losses over the others, and there's no rhyme or reason. See, my ADD ignores <laughs> the obvious and goes straight for the obscure. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, like I need that. I need I need the obscurity presented yeah. to me so that be like this is part <laughs> of the history of a league of their own. Three two. I'm pretending racing lost still. Ugh. Racing, yeah. Did they deserve to win? No. I don't know. Would they have treated Kit like a star for only being on the team that short period of time, too? That was my th- I, as I've watched the movie over a hundred times, that is now my question. Would they have embraced her like that? I don't know. Maybe. Cause she only joined, she only joined that team right before the world series. Yeah. Only. So would like the team be so happy that she's the one that got the winning hit? I mean, yeah, I guess because they won the world series because of it, but also I would have probably just given her a pat on the back. Say, good job. But you're not really part of the team. <laughs> That's how and I would have. You have to pay your dues. Her. Yes. But I think yeah. it's the movies, and they had to like show her triumph. Her triumph. Yes, they had to. They yeah, because that was what the whole movie was about. It was about well, it wasn't just about that, but it was like the plot of the movie was about the the sisterly um, animosity that they or that or the resentment that Kit held towards Dottie. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Dottie's like, I can't help it. I'm just good. <laughs> Why you gotta be so good? <laughs> Why you gotta be so good? Kit, I told him <laughs> to trade me. <laughs> oh, I could quote this movie. Mm-hmm. You could, you could be Penny Marshall giving stage direction, and and you can play Rosie's character. I'll be, I'll be Madonna, and, and um, we'll be Mo and Row. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Row and Mo. 
Um, Kit. <laughs> Kit, your father's trying to listen to the radio. <laughs> yeah, I just have random quotes that stick in my head from that movie. So I, people don't know what I'm talking about. There was, there's one time when, um, I forget what me and my partner were talking about, but it, I said, no, you're done. You're throwing group groups up there. Like you're done. And he's like, what, what are you talking? He knows that I'm making some sort of reference to something he doesn't know. And he's like, what are you talking about? What, what is that from? <laughs> so that's, that's every conversation I have, like with my husband, he, yeah. he's like, what are you talking about? I was like, <laughs> you know this, but he, he missed a large swath of pop culture in the nineties. And cause he grew up in like a, an NPR family that went oh. camping all the time. Oh, and wow. they watched okay. PBS Masterpiece. And my family, we went to the mall, we went to the movies, we mm -hmm. went to like Disney World. So I had like a very different, more commercial, middle brow yeah. upbringing. TV was my babysitter. TV, yes. Yeah. Um, Tom so. Hanks says that he babysat a lot of kids in the 80s. And that's why <laughs> we think he's our dad. Yeah. <laughs> very much. Big and what was that? Was that dog movie? Turner, Turner and Hooch. Hooch. Yeah, he hated that, but I loved it. Splash. It was, I love Splash. Yeah, but I had like a a high tolerance for movies I would never personally go out and see today. You know what oh, I mean? For sure. Yeah. I was like, well, we're gonna see what's at the movies, and we're gonna go because we didn't have our phones and I our know. like screens to. To, well, uh, now that I'm also gotten to the point where it's like, no, I don't want to go to the movies. I can we not find it online? <laughs> Is it not available to just purchase online? I'd rather sit at home and watch it because oh, I don't want to go totally. to the movies and and deal with, you know, the staff that's kind of disgruntled because they don't get a, a fair wage and have to deal with that and me have to be upset about it, but have to be understanding to them and. I just don't want to have I overthink going to the movies. I just don't want to do it. <laughs> and you have to like wait to go to the bathroom so you don't miss the oh, movie. Yeah. Because I will not leave it. during the movie. Right. Exactly. But I was some like, people I know will just like walk out during the it's like you're gonna miss a critical piece. Do not come back right. and ask me what just the happened because then I'm gonna get distracted and not pay attention to what's happening now. <laughs> and you're gonna miss a huge plot plot point. And I was like, this is why I'm not gonna go see Killers of the Flower Moon. <laughs> you know that movie is four hours, right? I but I will not I, see anything that anything that is more than an hour and a half, I'm like, ugh. I can't do thank you. <laughs> Movies need to be 90 minutes. But yeah. I before era, the era's uh, uh -huh. movie is like three almost three hours so i'm not drinking any water beforehand <laughs> you're just gonna be dehydrated <laughs> the entire time right <laughs> you're gonna need an iv after the movie exactly just... <laughs> i need an iv drip you know five bags of saline until i pee but yes. like <laughs> Aaron, it has been such a pleasure talking to you uh thank you for for humoring me with my quiz and telling me everything you know about A League of Their Own. The book is called No Crying in Baseball, available in any store, I'm sure, that you can go to or Amazon and other online retailers. Uh, how can people find out more about you and say hi to you? 
Um, you can find me on Instagram at Aaron Lee Carlson, L-E-I-G-H. Um, and then I don't tweet or zeet really. Uh, but you can find Is that what they call it? I think so, yes. They call it Zeet? I listened to a Vogue podcast the other day, and they were like, Zeet, talking to me. And it was like, we're not going to make that happen. (laughs) We'll make Fetch happen, but but not that. (laughs) Before that, yeah. We're not going to make Zeet. (laughs) But you can find me on my sub stack. Um, It's called You've Got Mail. Um, I do talk about Madonna on there sporadically. So there's something for everyone. But, But yeah. Um, thank you for keeping me humble <laughs> and inviting me on. Um, of course. I think Madonna is one of the greatest entertainers of all time. And I cannot wait to see her in uh, New York. In Are you going to see her? I'm going to go see her at MSG. Yeah. I'm so excited. You're going to love it. Um, yeah. Now, are you, now do you care about spoilers? Not really. No. Okay. I'll send you the set list. That way you get like, you can get familiar with, with like some of the songs, the deeper cut songs. So like when you hear them played, you can be like, Oh my God, I I knew the song was coming. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because there's a, there's a lot of, uh, songs that were singles that, that just, she's refused to do on tour in previous years. And, um, a lot of fans were happy to hear them that she's doing them now. It sounds like epic fan service. Absolutely. And I'm uh, all about it. (laughs) I'm so excited to see her. And like, I'm so glad that you liked the, the um, opener in London. What an incredible experience. Oh yeah. I think she should go into sphere. You know how Bono and you two. Like, why don't we do that? Like, like you two. As as the, as the recorded (laughs) version that's going to be shown in movie theaters just do that that's what they sh- she should do exactly she should hire us to like produce it yeah <laughs> no she, she'd want to control too much exactly it took her two years to put out the last live performance concert because she had to be in the editing room she had to uh approve every single frame she's like total director it's kind of strike sandy that way Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Which Very I so. I respect. I was not mad when she gave me the Hollywood no for this book, which was not no response. And yeah, and I, <laughs> I wouldn't take it. I wouldn't take it personally. I, I'm sure uh, she oh, yeah. says no to everybody. Right. <laughs> well, Aaron, it's been a pleasure. I hope you have a great rest of your day, a great rest of your week, and um, everyone, go out and get the book, read it. It's great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Please be sure to like, subscribe, rate, and review the Madonna Get Together on your favorite podcast streaming platform. And be sure to follow on Instagram at Madonna Get Together. Until then, my beautiful strangers.